From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and self-acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is non-binary, trans-mask nomad, and creature of the outdoors, Jyler Donovan. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. First off, how do you identify? As far as trans stuff goes, I use genderqueer or non-binary, and I was assigned female at birth. And then I also use queer to describe my sexuality. And Southern is very important to me. Very good. And so the first question we usually we usually jump into is, how did you choose your name? Is, is Jyler a name that you chose for yourself? <laughs> um, sort of. My assigned middle name at birth was Tyler. And I went by Tyler for a long time in my gender journey. Mm. Um, but then Tyler was like a tad too masculine for me. Um, and it was sort of when I was transitioning from identifying as a man to more non-binary. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my best friend, who's very funny, was going on about people made out of jeans. So Tyler would be Jyler. And I thought that was really silly. Didn't like it. And then realized I was like in the market for a new name. And nobody knows what the gender of someone named Jyler is. So that really sat with me. And wow. so I changed my name legally in 2012. Nice. That's awesome. I always yeah. love it. That's why I love to start with that question because it's sure. always so fun and there's there's usually just some kind of great story behind it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It sounds like you had a kind of complex gender journey. Very. When did yes. you first realize that you were were different and then when did you realize that what it was was that you were trans? Or Sure. Uh, no, sorry, trans. So... I mean, you know, non-binary. Sure. Uh, All of those work for me. I also use trans. Um, I was like a very masculine little girl. And from zero to 10, that was okay because girls were allowed to be masculine. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it wasn't okay. And I think that's the first moment where I was like, oh, okay, wait, like I'm not like all of these other boys. Oh, that's weird. Um, And then from basically all of middle school and high school, I felt very masculine and wanted to express myself in a masculine way. But the only way to do that at the time, and we're talking like the year 2000 to 2007, um, was to be a lesbian, like to be a woman that was assigned female at birth, but who was masculine. The only pictures I saw were lesbians. So I was like, well, I must be a lesbian. Um, So I didn't realize I was trans until in 2007, I was in a live journal group called Burls, which was boy girls. Okay. And a bunch of people started coming out as F to M and it meant that they you know, wanted to be men or whatever. And I thought, oh, that must be me. This is so great. It's sort of clarifying all of these things that I was confused about because I had never really had an attraction to women. So that was what made the lesbian part very confusing Yeah, was that um, I didn't feel that. And then... Um, for about four years, I identified as F to M, but I was in college and I was studying gender and I started to understand more about just like the way that gender is constructed. And so I always mm-hmm. say that my gender expression has always been masculine and will always be masculine. And I don't really have an explanation. It just feels right for me. Mm-hmm. But my gender identity as someone who's non-binary is very theoretical because it has to do with like how I understand gender as a construct. Um, I don't feel like a man because to me that can, that category is constructed for me to not feel comfortable living in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I like sort of landed on non-binary or gender queer was what we were saying at the time. And I still use both of those. Mm-hmm. And that was like 2012 was kind of the, all right, I think I like actually know what's going on <laughs> at this point. Yeah. But you did make the decision clearly to go forward with 
testosterone, right? And you, yeah. you're, you're just killing it with that beard. Thank um, you so much. It's actually any... much shorter than normal. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you're, if you're going to be a nomad, you've got to, ha- you got to rock the, the facial beard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what was it that, that led you to that side of the, the masculinity that, you know, and how does that tie into that Id- identity for you? Sure. So for me, I think that piece of always feeling masculine was really important and just accepting that like that is a feeling that I have always carried with me and I can't explain why it exists, but I just know it lives inside of me. And so accepting that I want to see, you know, a masculine person when I look in the mirror and like what masculinity means for me is more sort of like a gay masculinity, like more swishy and and, and that kind of thing uh, (laughs) is where I feel comfortable. But that like, I think the rub was reading Um, I read Gender Outlaw by Kate Bornstein, and and she talked about, you know, when she was growing up assigned male at birth, that the only other option, if you didn't feel like that, was to be a woman. And so she was like, well, I must be a woman. And then found out later that there were more options, like Mm non-binary. And that, to me, was a big aha moment of like, oh, right, I feel like a man because I was told, well, if you're not a woman, you're a man. Those are the only two options. Mm -hmm. And then to find out that there was actually this whole sort of expanse of gender for me was very like for my, especially my theoretical brain was like, oh, okay, cool. Cause I don't feel comfortable saying I'm a man. Cause I don't, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, um, and and so tying happened. into what you had said before, for a lot of us, you know, it, especially at the very start, we don't even have the other gender idea, yeah. but we clue into is I think I must be gay because I'm not right. like the other people like me. So yeah. um, that's the first place we go. And then, yeah, and then you go and just you're sticking to the binary and then you yeah. finally get this awakening of like, oh, there's there's other options. We want to be. Yes. And it's kind of funny within the trans community, isn't it? About like how many people are just strictly binary, but they, they switch mm-hmm. like myself and how many how much of a spectrum it is in between. I love yeah. it. It's so great. I know I'm a huge fan of that. And I think I felt pressure because at the time, you know, in 2007 to like 2010, there was starting to be more awareness around binary trans identities. And so I thought, oh, this must be me because I was seeing it represented. And so as more information has come out, I've learned like, oh, there's actually a better identity for me that it's not that that wasn't true for me at the time. It was just all that I knew. Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't have more knowledge. So. So you you know, you, you, you came across this, this person in this book, was there another like particular role model or confidant that you had that you were closer to that led you that, you know, kind of helped guide you? Sure. Um, I think, well, I was dating someone who identified as genderqueer and they were the first person that taught me that word. So in that respect, yes. Uh, because they were just sort of the person that was like, hey, this thing exists and like this is what it means to me and gave me space to process it with them. And then also from a larger, like a bigger view, I was really actively involved in my LGBT studies like office at in college. And there was a large community of people who were all sort of exploring their identities and just a very welcoming space to express like, hey, I'm confused or I don't really know or can you sit with me and talk with me about this? And a lot of uh, just like a larger community of people, not like any one person in particular in that group, just a lot of folks, mm-hmm. which was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It, you know, it's really important to have that support system and to yeah. have that right that that close to you is wonderful. Absolutely. Let's get into coming out. Sure. First off, generally, you know, how did you come out? Um, well, coming out for me, like a lot of folks, I think it was an emergent process. Um, 
And it started as a 13-year-old telling everyone on the school bus that I was bisexual <laughs> um, and transitioned from there to, to saying I was a lesbian um, and then saying I was trans, F to M, and then saying I was non-binary. And just basically to anyone that would listen, I would tell them because I'm very open about that kind of stuff. Um, except my family, they were like, my mom had made it pretty clear that like that kind of stuff wasn't okay. And so I had separate conversations with her. And then my big, like, non-binary trans coming out was I actually was interviewed by my college paper. I had, like, a guy follow me around all day and shadow me and then write this whole article about my life and, like, put it on the front page. And mm -hmm. so at that point, my mom and I were not speaking because of my gender and my sexuality, but my dad and I were talking. And so I drove about an hour to his house and put the newspaper in his mailbox and then drove away. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I called him about an hour later when I got back and I said, Hey, did you see the thing in your mailbox? And I was like, no, and he was like, no, I didn't see it. I think the mail person like must have taken it. And I was like, Oh, no. So I sent him the link. And then oh, I called him, you know, I said, Hey, call me back when you read this. And so then he read it. And he, he uh, call me back. And he said, what's this part in here about you smoking? <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. Like, and then he said, you know, you didn't think we know about this stuff. Like, of course we know about this stuff. And like, oh. it's not a problem, you know? Um, cause I had started testosterone at that point. So I wasn't fooling anybody, especially not my dad, <laughs> but it was just so funny to me that like, he was way more concerned about the fact that I was like smoking cigarettes than <laughs> that I was trans. That's but that was my big like you know to any sort of significant coming out moment because everyone else that I meet I'm just I mean anybody that's watching this that knows me you know I'm just shouting about being trans constantly like it's like a constant everybody needs to know this thing about me because it is so core to like who I am mm -hmm. from the rooftops yeah. right <laughs> absolutely yeah so in sure. coming out what were some of the the things you ran into what were who were some of the hardest conversations for you yeah, so that conversation with my mom, um, so that was sort of ongoing from the time I was like 15 to 18. And she had a really, she's had, she's still alive, she's had a really tough life. And so I like really empathize with her a lot now. Um, her parents died when she was really young. And so she didn't have like a kid, you know, parents to like kind of do that thing with. So yeah. she wanted to have a, a daughter and I was not, unfortunately, the daughter. Um, and so when I was 15, I told her I was gay and, and she told me I wasn't and, and why I wasn't and that I would get over it and so on and so forth. And then from then on um, until I was 18, it was just kind of like a thing we didn't talk about or a thing that she would say, like, um, I didn't raise you like this or don't bring this in the house or that kind of stuff. And then when I was 18, unprompted, she told me that God had given her a daughter and that I couldn't take that person away. And so that was the moment uh in my coming out and like i hadn't really talked to my mom about it like because i didn't feel comfortable um mm -hmm. of me deciding like all right we're we're just not going to do this and luckily it took about five years but she did finally ask me um hey are you going to have a sex change what is this and i said well no but i would love to explain it to you if you're actually willing to listen and and she told me that she had done a lot of processing and that god was cool with her or whatever um and that her and her uh, husband at the time were getting divorced. And so she was going to get a job to get, make sure I could stay on health insurance, which was really meaningful to me. Mm. And so now we still don't have a great relationship, but she was definitely the person that like, I never really wanted to come out to. And then when I did, it didn't go well. And then it just sort of continued to be bad without my prompting of coming out. Mm -hmm. it just kept happening, sort of her curiosities about it. And now she, you know, she knows Brendan and Sam and we all hang out and, and she has decided like I'm her kid and, and she wants to have me in her life. So 
I'd say better than it was. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I get that. I, I understand that, you know, she had certain expectations. That's the problem yeah. with, with parents is they, they have sure. their kids and they have the expectations of what they're going to be and what the parent needs to do to keep the kid alive and yeah. make them grow up and be a good person and be prosperous and all those sorts of things. And, you know, then our free will kicks in and it's not yeah. quite <laughs> You know, it's never going to be what they expect. And, and I, I, I see a, a time and again where parents struggle with that. And it's unfortunate. Yep. What were you doing for work at the time when you came out? And what was the level of acceptance where you were? So at that time, in the particular instance with my mom, I was working at Target. Um, I have worked at Target on and off for like six years of my life. And every time I've been at Target, there have always been trans people working with me. <laughs> and uh, the the culture has always been very sort of inclusive and accepting of trans folks. Great, um, yeah. So, yeah, it's been really great. Actually, every time I've gone back to Target, I've always had like lots of friends that are like, well, I'm not trans, but like, whatever, it's cool. <laughs> Were there anybody in your circle or, you know, in the, that surrounded you in your life that you came out to that supported you in a way that you were surprised by or weren't expecting? Hmm. Well, I think that story I told about my dad certainly mm -hmm. um, was really surprising for me. Um, and I think other than that, no, the folks around me, I, because I intentionally surrounded myself by queer people, and trans people, I, you know, all of them were sort of like, yeah, okay, like, that's what we expect. <laughs> you know, it's not really anything shocking or surprising. But I think that support from my dad, especially because for a long time, when I was a lesbian, in quotes, um, he would say, like, I, my dad owned a liquor store. And he would say, like, I see these old lesbians come by the store, and they're not pretty, and you're so pretty. How can you be one of them? So, like, he would say stuff like that. And, um, but then, like, when I actually came out to him, he was really, you know, just like, do you think I care? And. And always his whole life, you know, he just was really concerned with like people being happy and like living their best lives. And so I think that um, it was sort of surprising that he didn't have more of a reaction, but I'm, I'm glad that it went the way that it did. Oh, no, I've lost my, lost my questions here. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned that when you came, when, when you were discovering that what, what it was, was trans you sort of you know you were dating somebody you fell you kind of fell into a community had you looked for a community before then and what were your initial experiences trying to find a community trying to find support and other people like you sure so in my hometown lexington kentucky there was a citywide gay straight alliance and so i got hooked into them when i was 16 um through going to i went to a camp called camp everytown which was a camp designed to just kind of get kids thinking about social issues hmm. and so i got connected to that gay straight alliance and actually it was really formative for me as coming out at, with all of my different coming outs um having sort of just high school students around me and then adult mentors either at the college like adult level or like very much older than me i think mary who was in charge was in her 60s at the time and for the most part um very like affirming and welcoming and there was only a few moments where some of the older advisors kind of struggled with me being a lesbian versus me being trans because they really wanted me to be a lesbian and kind of like carry that torch 
of, uh, you know, continuing lesbian identities and like femaleness and femininity and all of those things that are very important, but just were not a part of me. Mm -hmm. So I remember at one point um, telling them that I was trans and having one of the women say, but I really wanted to take you to the Michigan Women's Music Festival. And like, I'm so sad that I can't do that. And she meant it in a nice way, but it Mm -hmm. definitely was like, I need you to see my identity. (laughs) Thanks. So I definitely before that, it was the Gay Shirt Alliance and just the people in college and then the internet, you know, I was on live journal, um, which is primarily where I made friends that had gender and sexuality that was not, you know, sort of normative or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So I used live journal and then Tumblr after that, spent a lot of time on Tumblr and just met people, you know, that way. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You, you bring up a really interesting thing and you know, this is something that I've kind of heard anecdotally and I haven't experienced directly myself because like I said, I've, I've been pretty strictly binary, but I've heard that in even the LGBT community, um, bisexual and non-binary can be sort of looked down upon. Have you experienced any of that being non-binary other than that, those, that specific example there of like, Oh, we wish you were (laughs) (laughs) a woman. Yeah. Um, I have, but mostly on the internet, not in real life or not in the life away from the internet. Um, I spend some time and not recently, but on, on Reddit and have definitely had some arguments with mostly trans people who are binary, who don't like that I exist because it challenges their own notion of their gender identity. Um, So when I talk about things like gender as a social construction, to a lot of those folks, it can feel very threatening because it, it, you know, sort of um, depathologizes being trans. And that pathology is really important to those folks. And like, I really respect that. But I want to live in a world where we both can exist at the same time. And I think that um, I've definitely had some not so not so nice things said to me about I, I once person once had someone say to me stop lying to cis people because you're hurting all of us yeah. and i remember um being you know sort of holding the space of like wow you're really hurt and like i'm so sorry that you're hurt because that's not about me and also being angry <laughs> because what i'm talking about is what i think is my own truth mm-hmm. um but yeah i think that's most of the places that i've seen it I, i've also experienced it a little bit with my own experiences with gay men being um, sexually interested in them and like having sexual relationships with gay men because I am assigned female at birth. And so I've definitely had some men like that are like, oh, but like that thing about you is weird or like you're so cute except for this thing, mm-hmm. you know, or, or things like that. Um, that has been hard as well of like, you know, just I think them wanting me to be easy to figure out. And I'm just not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're in a, a poly relationship and uh, one of your one of your partners is um, MTF. And I'm sorry, I'm not sure what um, Brendan's orientation is. Um, sure. But if you found in that context that being with other people within the community, especially someone closer to non-binary, makes it much easier. Hmm. That's a great question. Um, before I answer, I will correct you. Sam or Gilda identifies as more like trans feminine. I don't know if she's really using M to F these days, but like non-binary or trans feminine would be more appropriate. And she is in the um, show and I am, <laughs> yeah, cut, I am cutting some corners here and I, I, I definitely apologize. That is an insensitivity. It's all good. And no, I, I should remember these things and I should, uh, I should be better about about that. I was, like I said, um, I, was, I was just trying to cut corners and... and... <laughs> I got you. Thank you for calling and Brendan, me. I appreciate that. 
You're good. And Brendan um, is a cis man. He identifies with just being a cisgendered gay man. Okay. And um, yeah, having the closeness to them, especially being close with Gilda in the drag world, I think has been really helpful to like, just like talking to more people about non-binary stuff and like having that sort of acceptance of like, oh, you're cool. Like you date this person. So now like, because you have that sort of social cred, you can talk more about your identity and we're willing to listen to you Mm -hmm. as opposed to just sort of cold, just like talking to them, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that has definitely really helped. Um, And I think that, you know, sort of talking to people about identity issues can go that way. That if you see someone that you look at and you think they are like me, then you maybe are more willing to listen to them speak or listen to someone they recommend as opposed to just like listening to me talking about being non-binary because of course I'm going to talk about being non-binary. I have an investment in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if somebody doesn't have an investment in it and they they vouch for you, that can be really, I think, a good way to open doors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's the people that... that- don't have us don't have skin in the game and don't necessarily need to go out of their way to support you that when they do sure. it just has that much more value to it doesn't it exactly yeah mm-hmm. absolutely so what does transli- transition look like for you especially now what is what's kind of the ethereal look at transition for your from your sure. perspective So I've been on testosterone now for nine years, and I will say I have pretty poor hormone management. So I uh, come off and on uh, pretty regularly, and it's it's difficult as well because I don't know how much everybody knows out there, but testosterone is a Schedule One drug in the United States. So each state classifies how much access you can or cannot have to it. And in the state of Kentucky, you can only get thirty days at a time, which does not go so well if you're someone who moves four months at a time uh-huh. and it can't be sent across certain state lines. So like I'm on testosterone, but I'm not as regular as I could or should be. Sorry, Dr. Fallon Bennett. Um, and then I have not had any sort of surgeries or anything like that. Um, but I would really like to have top surgery. It's something that I've always thought about and it's something that would make me feel comfortable just looking at who I am, like looking at myself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, And then a constant part of my transition is just always making sure that as much as I can, like people understand that I am non-binary as opposed to like a man. So any time that I'm in a new situation, talking about it is a big part of just like sort of being, what's the word, like authentic with my transition or making sure that I'm like speaking truth to my authenticity. And so that in in itself is constantly, you know, happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you you mentioned constantly kind of talking about and, and, shouting from the rooftops about your gender but the thing is is it sounds like as someone who's non-binary who presents fairly binary with the big beard and 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 things like that that it is a constant discussion that you have to have it's kind of a wonderful thing that you don't mind that no i i really i really actually think it's kind of my burden and and i want to hold that burden for other people like me that maybe aren't, don't feel as comfortable being in that space because I, I just want people to know that sort of delineation between my expression and my identity is really important and that like masculinity and like like I said, like a swishier form of masculinity is just the thing that makes me the most comfortable, mm-hmm. even though it's not. I think some people expect like non-binary, oh, you're going to be androgynous or you're going to like look like we can't tell what your gender is, but I get I, I don't get clocked like that doesn't happen to me. Um, I, the last time I got clocked was in 2020 and it was a gay dude at a gay bar who was like, oh yeah, me and my partner have a, a, a friend 
that is trans. So he recognized me as a trans person. But other than that, like, it's very rare that I don't pass. And so Mm -hmm. I need to, like, for me and to be authentic with myself, I have to, like, talk about it a lot. Hmm. So you know that you have to talk about it, but you have to bring it up a lot of the time, it sounds like. I do. Yes, uh, very, very regularly, especially if there's no, like, pronoun conversations. And even if there are pronoun conversations in places that I work, uh, even though I use they, them, people still see they, them, and still might think that I'm cisgender just because there are more cisgender men or people assigned male at birth who are using, like, they, them pronouns. Mm -hmm. So that's been really interesting, actually. Yeah. So how far along would you say that you're in your process? I know you mentioned you're kind of looking forward to top surgery. Is that is that the last step for you? Or, you know, is there more that you're looking for? No, I think top surgery is it. I mean, I want a hysterectomy, but I think that comes with time and talking to doctors who understand that I actually don't want children and never have. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> but other than that, yeah, I just want top surgery. And, and my barrier right now is just the expense of it. The expense and being such a nomadic human who moves so often, it's really hard to sit down and take that much time off and find insurance that covers it and and just sort of navigating that process is really daunting. And so I haven't really given myself a chance to like sit down and do it Mm -hmm. because I do most of my work is very physically intensive. And so having to, you know, get top surgery and then not be able to work for a while would it's hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely possible, but it's not something I'm still not like, all right, I need to like sit down and do this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a very personal question because of where sure. the conversation is led in the show. If we ever hit anything that you're uncomfortable with, feel free to tell me you're not comfortable answering that. That's totally fine. Sure. Um, but I'm going a little bit off script here because of what you just said. In your relationships, and especially in a relationship that is poly, and you're the only one that has childbearing capability. Has sure. there ever been pressure or have you ever felt pressure just in yourself, not necessarily from your partners, to be the one to to give the relationship a child? Uh, no, actually. It has never been something that we've talked about or that I've ever really thought about because we've been pretty clear and like none of us want to have children. Mm-hmm. And historically, I've also been very adamant about so why I work with children is because I think I am really good with children and would sort of be wasting that potential having to just take care of one or two as opposed to being able to um, you know fully give my attention to like the thousands of children that I get to work with and so that has been you know sort of my thought but I never even growing up like I had never thought of myself as a parent or or Mm -hmm. wanting to parent and you know you could look into my psychology and say like well my parent situation wasn't incredible so maybe that's part of the reason why I don't really want to mm-hmm. go through that again, but on the other side. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's never been, never really been a thing, I don't think. Mm-hmm. So in your journey, what were some of the key fears that you ran into and how did you overcome those? Um, well, definitely disappointing my parents was a huge fear for me growing up. You know, uh, I I did as much as I could to kind of be like the model kid. I I got really good grades. I didn't, you know, drink or smoke or anything like that in high school. I like tried to be really, you know, straight edge as it were. And Mm -hmm. it it was just like sort of trying to compensate for disappointing them. And and, and what I learned is like it didn't really matter what of those things that I did. It still wasn't going to be enough, especially for my mom. Um, So that was a big fear for me. And then... I think my other biggest fear was just trying to grapple with this thing about being attracted to men and people assigned male at birth because there just wasn't any sort of, you know, the first time I ever saw a transgender person who was assigned female at birth 
with a man or someone who was assigned male at birth was on the L word um, when Max got with Alan Cummings' character. And it was like this huge aha moment for me that that was even possible. And I think I was really scared because I thought that it wasn't going to be a reality for me and I was going to have to live in this place of like always having this desire but never having an outlet for it or being able to express myself. And so that was really scary. Yeah. But so eventually I just started uh, getting on Craigslist and getting on uh, Grindr and, and it was not what I expected. It definitely, there was much more interest than I had anticipated. So the fear kind of went away. Then the whole new fear of just like, how do I navigate these things? Cause I didn't date many like men growing up. And so that was all new for me. And then in this gendered body in particular, and you know, so all of that was a little scary, but I don't feel as scared about it now. Nice. Yeah, that's a that's a lot to navigate, you know, and I think a lot yeah. of it as as we transition, we run into things like that, you know, am I am, is my attraction going to change? What sure. would that mean as you as you're on hormones? Is it changing those sorts of things? It's a very interesting kind of thing to to consider. And um, yeah, it's it's funny that that you had to go through that, like um, what your initial expectations would have been for what you would have dated sure. uh, yeah. ended up kind of being what you were attracted to in this strange yeah. roundabout way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I find that also to answer the the question that comes out that came out initially from my parents a lot was like, are you gay? Are you sure you're not right. gay? And you're like, no, 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 I'm not gay. And then at some point you're like, well, I'm a lesbian. So <laughs> technically, yeah. So yes, I am gay. Like, yeah, I guess sure. I am. All right. <laughs> So along your journey, have your goals shifted? Is what you wanted and, and what, you know, you saw for yourself, um, I'm assuming with the different steps that you went through, has that changed along your way? Um, hmm. Not particularly. I think that the biggest sort of goal for me for a long time was being on testosterone. And I actually had a therapist, you know, back before I identified as genderqueer, tell me that maybe I wasn't quite ready for it. And at the time, I was not super pleased about that, but it actually allowed me to um, do more soul searching. And I actually didn't start testosterone until I was identifying as genderqueer. And it felt like a very intentional choice as opposed to like uh, sort of the roadmap that was being created as what it means to be trans. Like I wasn't following that. I was following my own roadmap. Mm -hmm. So that was the only thing that really changed for me. But the thing about like always wanting top surgery and always um, feeling masculine and, and sort of following that train has been pretty much consistent. The only thing that's changed recently is I grew my hair out. I have a mullet. It's long. And this is the longest my hair has been since probably the sixth grade because I was always so worried about getting clocked and like things like that. And so I would just, I, I, I used to rock just nothing, like a complete uh, 16th of an inch all the way around. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Long time. Hmm. Um, so that, that, that changed, but other, just like being more comfortable once I grew a beard of expressing in a little bit more of a feminine way, because I knew I would just get read as a gay man, which mm. is fine. Fine with me. Yeah. So what are the things that you do in your life that you feel like really kind of feed into and validate your gender identity? Uh, well, so my, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that being Southern is also a big part of my identity. And so my friend and I actually had a conversation in college about how I wanted my gender identity to be like a um, sort of like 
gentle, caring, like Southern boy. <laughs> and so the things that I do, I, I drive a truck. <laughs> um, I live in the back of my truck uh, when I'm on the road. I wear a lot of camouflage. I listen to country music um, and all of those things, being able to look at them with like a critical lens, but also knowing they're important parts of my culture and how can I sort of like embody that masculinity without it being super problematic is something that makes me feel very affirmed in my gender. And also working with kids, especially young boys and teaching them about the different types of masculinity that can exist is very affirming to me because I think that it's what I would have wanted as a kid, you know, and knowing that other people, like there are other ways to be masculine. I think that that makes me feel very comfortable in who I am to like Mm -hmm. receive acceptance from these kids and also to know that I'm like making a difference in their lives. Mm -hmm. So wonderful. So the kind of big softball question, how do you feel that transitioning and truly coming into your identity, how do you feel that has affected your mental health? Huh. Like not particularly. Um, I think that I have my own set of like mental health issues that are pretty unrelated to my gender. I think it actually, it's funny you mentioned, you bring this up because back when I started going to therapists, when I was 2007, 2008, so I was like, you know, 18, 19, 20, um, they would always want to talk about my gender. And I was so frustrated because I was like, y'all, I know about my gender. This is not the problem. I have other stuff. I have my family problems. I have all these traumas that like, I want to, you know, talk about. And I just had so many therapists that like wanted to talk about gender. And I was like, I'm not really, I don't really want to talk. Like, I, I, I got the gender thing, you know? So I think that for me, being a, a person of a non-binary identity has been pretty like not taxing on my, my mental health mm-hmm. or my sexuality for that, that matter, except for growing up, you know, just kind of not feeling like good enough or, or not like I was living up to expectations. But, you know, sort of after I had that moment with my mom. I kind of accepted that like, all right, it's me. Like I'm the one that's driving this ship and like, I'm going to just be who I am. And if other people don't like that, I I can't really do anything about that. And I think having that moment as sort of like hard as it was, it it really set me on this path. Now I'm 31. It's been, you know, 12 years, whatever that math is, 13, um, where I am able to, I don't know, just guide myself, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's one of the things I love about this show. You know, one of the, the points of it was to make sure that we share everybody's stories so that people find the thing that resonates with them. Everybody's story's got something that'll resonate with you of like, this is sure. similar to my story and things like that. And I love those those moments where it varies. And I think this is one of the first times where it's been absolutely the opposite. In your therapy, sure. that is exactly what I needed. I needed to talk about gender, I couldn't get to some of the other issues and solve those because the gender thing was such a key issue for me that I, I didn't figure out until, you know, six years after that. So the, the, the fact that you had that down and wanted to to work on the issues and I had all these issues, but I couldn't get to them until I worked on the gender stuff. It's just kind of funny being on a team. It is funny. So, what were the biggest hurdles you've had to overcome in your transition? Um, well, aside from all the family drama, mm-hmm. I think just accessing medical transition is, has been very difficult. Um, both because when I started transitioning in like 
you know, 2011 or 12, you just had to kind of ask like your friend who was trans, what doctor they go to. And like that doctor is the one who is prescribing hormones for everyone, you know? So it was like that kind of thing of like, how do you get an appointment? How does insurance cover this? And like having to talk to, you know, the one person that knows to tick the right box at the insurance company. So they'll cover it. It's just, it's just mind numbing how convoluted that whole system is. Well, and and just, just Um, pure word of mouth. You have to be able to stumble into the right circle yeah. of friends to find the right person to ask to have exactly wow, that's crazy so 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 that yeah that was definitely really hard um and still continues to be hard you know i live in a state where i'm on medicare medical whatever the one is for you know not old people and um <laughs> it explicitly prohibits the insurance i have explicitly prohibits sex reassignment procedures i forgot the language but my insurance is covered or or, or, sorry my hormones are covered and that's because somebody somewhere you know ticks the right box or whatever and just constantly being worried that like my boxes won't be right or all my paperwork's not in order or something won't you know somebody i still have an f on my license and like somebody's gonna see my license and then you know have something to say to me about it it's it's that kind of stuff that it's just like a perpetual anxiety that lives in the back of my head um that i don't you know, I think for the most part does not come out in reality, but it's just always present of knowing, you know, I have an F on my passport. What if I cross the border? Like that picture is eight years old. What are people going to think? Um, and like, I haven't had any trouble with that. Most of the time people will just look at it and like, all right, have a nice day. Like people, <laughs> but I think because I live with such just a, a front present experience of gender, as opposed to a lot of people who don't spend as much time thinking about it, you know, I'm always worried that someone's going to notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the favorite thing you'd say that you have learned through your gender journey here? Um, hmm. I just think like the amount of joy that we can find in like being people who are radical or who are not radical and who are like deciding to look at this whole thing of gender and be like, ah, I want to do something different and just getting to share those stories with people. Um, I think has been my favorite part of like getting to, especially just meeting and being in community with trans people and like swapping stories and telling about what our lives are like and, and getting to know one another. I think learning those pieces about other people's lives is, it brings me a lot of joy and I like joy in this work. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wonderful. It's nice when yeah. you can, you can get something fulfilling out of your identity. That's great. Absolutely. And then wrapping up this section before our break, what is the what is some advice that you have for trans and non-binary people who are either young or in the closet and can use a little bit of guidance? Sure. Um, I think that a big piece of advice I have is just remembering that you only can be as honest as you know how to be in any given moment. Mm-hmm. I think that people feel a lot of shame about not being totally honest about their identities, sexuality, gender, whatever, because either they don't have all the information or they're not in a place that's safe enough to say the full extent of their truth. And I think that wherever you are is okay, because that's the reality of your life, you know, and and just letting people know that like, when I was identifying as a lesbian, like it wasn't not true for me. I just didn't know any different. And like, when I was identifying as F to M, same thing. And I have people ask me a lot, like, well, you were lying, right? Do you feel like you were lying? I was like, no, I wasn't lying. Like, I I didn't know anything else. And that was true for me. And it is true in those moments. And so I just want people to remember that, like, it's okay to be whoever you are. And, like, that can be changing. And also, it's okay to not know. And that can also be changing. If you don't know, that's totally cool. Like, I'm here for you. And and I want, you know, to just let people be whoever they want to be. Just, like, Mm -hmm. be, you know? 
Yeah, there's so many key points and just that that simple statement there that, you know, we're, we're all so afraid to be wrong because it's so sure. hard for us to explain it to begin with that yeah. if we get it wrong and then have to correct it, then it, that that's even worse. And it's such a great yeah. point to say that, you know, you're making you're making a statement based on the information you have. You're claiming your identity yeah. based on what you have, and that's all sure. you've got. And you go with exactly. it and you see how it, it works. And some of the times you need to just try that and go, ooh, you know what? That's not it. And that leads you to what it actually is. Absolutely. And so it's a, it's an important step. And then um, the other part of that is that we in society greatly don't like we greatly ignore or, or like to eschew is that it it can change yeah like not Absolutely. only can your can your understanding of it and the information you have um be off or change but like just what you are what you decide you you need to be to be happy could change absolutely it, all the time it's you know like i said it's an emergent process for me and i think for everyone else mm -hmm. and and just to i think it's so important to constantly ask yourself those questions of like am i am i good like i'm cool all right cool i'm good or am i not good all right what do i need to be doing or not mm -hmm. you know but i get and it right like really fluidity is scary um yes absolutely when, when you're you like concrete you like answers that makes you feel safe and comfortable and yeah you know um so you don't have to worry about it but that, that that fluidity is both freeing and also terrifying because it's like well i don't know just because of the construct of our society i feel yeah yeah we live in a very like you know it's, it's funny i think we live in a world where we want to believe everyone fits nicely into a box and mm. we just don't do that mm -hmm. as people people are very complex yeah and it, it's kind of funny i i was trying to put it into words um a few years ago that whole like there was man likes woman woman likes man and that was it and everybody was comfortable with that and then it's just like then <laughs> this is horrible but, but um then gay came out and people sure. were like okay so that's a a man that likes that likes a man and a woman that likes a, a woman but it still it still fits into a binary you're either yeah. straight or you're gay and you're either um, attracted to men or you're attracted to women, that, that kind of a thing. Sure. And then bi comes along and people, it like just, it, it pops a fuse, uh, transgender comes along and it's just like, that's, they're struggling with that. But even that, like that can be not, that can be binary. It can be broken down into binary and then non-binary. It's, it's <laughs> blowing so many fuses in the world. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from The Transverse Network. Watch this show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash the transverse. You can also find it and our other great shows at youtube.com slash the transverse. If you love what we're doing and want to support The Transverse and get access to exclusive content, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash the transverse.